Hi, Paul. Hey, Villa. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. Actually, Villa, I, I called my bank the other day to uh, to pay some bills. And oh. the uh, the customer advisor on the other end of the line told me to stand on one leg. She said she had to check my balance before she could settle any of my payments. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, remind me again, why do we do these jokes in the beginning? <laughs> to, right. to lighten the mood. All right, okay. <laughs> Consider the mood lightened. And uh, and off we go. Hello and welcome to episode four of Fintech Daydreaming, the podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies with real-life examples from guests and experts across the board. We seek to bring you the insights and stories from new emerging technologies to game-changing disruptive ideas brought to us by fintech companies seeking to challenge the status quo with revolutionary ideas and big fantastic dreams. My friends, this is Fintech Daydreaming. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to the show. I can't really believe it's already episode four. I mean, feels like really feels like we started this uh, thing just yesterday. I guess time flies when you're having fun. Uh, in case you're interested in hearing what we talked about in the first three episodes uh, of FinTech Daydreaming, uh, you can find us now on all major podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and now even on YouTube. My name is Vila Sointo, and it's my turn to host the show today. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hey, Vila. How's your midsummer preparations going? Fantastic. Actually, you know, I almost had forgotten. I allowed people to book meetings on Friday into my calendar. Then I had to go back and obviously, you know, cancel all of them and get rid of them because it's sacrilege, right, to work on midsummer. That's right. Uh, midsummer yeah. in the midsummer in the Nordics is uh, is the tradition that uh, usually starts the summer vacation period. But hey, let's get to the topic of uh, of today, so we don't just do small talk uh, on the podcast. So that would be good. Uh, today we're covering a topic that's very close to me, both from professional and personal perspective, and that's really the story of an un- entrepreneurship. There's a lot of fintech companies that join this scene uh, wanting to disrupt. They they feel that, uh, like we discussed in, in a couple of the previous episodes uh, in many occasions, they, they come to this world and they want to apply new technologies. They've been perhaps using banking services in one way or another for a while, and they think that, you know, I can do better. I can really do better than this without really understanding the complexity uh, of building financial services with all the security and compliance requirements uh, that comes with it. Now, there are exceptions, of course. Fintech daydreamers, most of them uh, fail to answer the challenge uh, of this, uh, of, the fi- of uh, financial services, but some actually succeed in this. This is an incredibly complicated uh, space uh, and nobody ever becomes close to mastering it completely. The financial services space is intuitively and naturally uh, com- a very competitive, risk averse uh, and highly regulated, uh, obviously. So it's really easy to understand why so many people uh, are kind of puzzled uh, in front of, uh, of this challenge. There's one person, however, who I know, uh, I'm lucky to know, who has, in- who has had incredible success in facing all of these challenges that I uh, rambled through just now. He's actually done what some people might think is next to impossible. 
he was part of uh, or a key person in building a successful multi-bank network uh, for the Finnish real estate market and really started from scratch with nothing but talent and ambition uh, to, to take him forward. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our guest today, Sami Honkonen. Did I pronounce that correctly, Sami? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. good. Hello. See, 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 see Paul. Uh, you know, Finnish is not that hard. Uh, you know. <laughs> you know. In, in fact, in fact, uh, in fact, I I heard. Uh, you know, I I learned to speak Finnish. Uh, you know, even before I went to school. It's not really that complicated. <laughs> Sami is the CEO and founder of Tomorrow Technologies and Dias. Uh, Dias being the Finnish real estate trading network that I just mentioned. How are you doing today, Sami? I am good. Uh, today is actually the day of, of our company's summer party, so I'm really excited about the day. Oh, summer parties in COVID times. Sounds yes. like an interesting challenge. Yep. I, I'm more interested in knowing what happened to our invitations, Sami. <laughs> they're, in, they're in the mail. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sami... Uh, has an interesting background, obviously, and I'm going to let him uh, uh, properly uh, talk about his background as well uh, very soon. But one of the interesting things that I uh, that I learned about Sami earlier uh, was that uh, he's actually a lead singer in a death metal band. Now, uh, obviously, uh, you know we're we're in for Finland, like we mentioned now several times in the podcast already. But uh, one of the fun statistical facts about Finland is that there's a very high uh, density of death metal bands in, in Finland. And uh, I guess, you know, it's almost like statistically probable that one of us three uh, is a member of a death metal band. And uh, yeah, now we finally did it. So we have a death metal band uh, singer uh, in, in the podcast as well. Yeah, I, I guess we don't have plans for doing any death metal on this episode, but maybe, uh, no. maybe, maybe next time. Yeah, maybe we can put that, uh, you know... Uh, some some kind of a link in the show notes, perhaps uh, later for for some material if if our listeners are interested in uh, understanding what what does a CEO sound like uh, in a in a death metal band. But I guess uh, you know, looking at the topic of today, uh, which is to talk about how do you build uh, something uh, complicated from scratch in the fintech space, um, and uh, we need to start from the beginning, uh, especially for the listeners uh, outside Finland. Uh, Sami. Could you talk about Dias? What is it and why does it matter? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Uh, I just kind of, it, it feels weird to be uh, introduced uh, as a success story when when uh, at the same time, I know we've, we've gotten to a certain point, which is really great that we are here, but I still feel that we're kind of only at the very beginning of our of our journey. But uh, yeah, so what Dias, uh, Dias is and what it does is basically it enables a digital process for selling and buying apartments. So currently, for example, if you don't use Dias, currently how you do uh, do a real estate trade is that you have to set a meeting in a bank and you need to get all the different parties present. You need to get all the buyers and the sellers and the real estate agent and the bank officials in the same meeting room, uh, sign a bunch of documents and do all kinds of things. And what we enable is that you can just skip all of that. You can just do the whole thing digitally and you don't need to set up a meeting if you don't want to. You can still have the meeting uh, if you want to. But then once again, you, you're not restricted by so many schedules because you can just have the meeting without the bank, for example. You can just have it at the new apartment or at the real estate agent's uh, office. So that's essentially what, what Diaz uh, offers. Yeah, it's and I think being here in Finland and, you know, being having done uh, some of these real estate deals myself uh, buying apartments uh, in in Finland it is or used to be a very very manual process some some of the uh, 
the more interesting stories I've heard now, now that it's, you know, you can actually do it in a digital, uh, with a digital process, has been, are actually quite fu some, some funny stories. I, I heard uh, some, someone made an altitude record uh, for signing a real estate deal or buying an apartment by doing that uh, on an airplane. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So there has been, there has been someone who started a trade in an airplane. There has been people who have signed documents while while picking up blueberries in the forest and 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 all kinds of weird weird stuff that that this new thing enables. And you can also see it in our statistics that actually, uh, a but like there's a there's a spike in the number of uh, signatures that happen uh, after nine o'clock in the evening. And my guess is that what happens here is that now that you don't have to schedule it for like for 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 a meeting that happens during your meeting uh, during your work day, then what you do is that you put your kids to sleep, and then after nine o'clock you have some time to go through the documents once more, and then you sign them. So that's also something that I I think is also really changing how we do uh, how we sell and buy our apartments. Yeah, that's right. I think. Diaz really found a uh, a problem uh, and may, and solved it. I think that's that's the reason why you're seeing uh, some of these uh, interesting stories happening and uh, why the process now has changed uh, so much. Uh, yeah. I think it it answers a need. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think what's kind of interesting about the whole thing is that uh, we didn't start out to build it the way that uh, that it now exists. So. There was a new law that was coming into effect in 2019 um, when we so when we started building this in 2016 we already knew that there's a new law coming in 2019 that uh that would change these uh paper certificates that finland currently uses to prove ownership of an apartment that they would digitalize these and we were thinking that we're we're going to build solutions that are based on this new law but then uh, the government IT systems uh, turned out to be very late and we ended up uh, having to come up with a process that would still support the paper certificates while at the same time providing a digital experience for the for the consumers and for the real estate agents mm -hmm. and i and i think that's that's also been one one uh, interesting part of the journey of like how how we kind of realized that we have to change the whole plan midway through but i i understand that part of the success is is or the secret sauce is is the uh, adoption of blockchain technology as well yeah so so if we kind of get back to the to the whole beginning of, of how we started this uh, when we started the, when we started our company tomorrow tech in, in 2016 we actually decided to start a company but we decided that we're not going to decide what we're going to do so that was a fairly unconventional way of starting a business uh, we simply decided that we're going to start experimenting with a bunch of stuff and and see what comes up and one of the things that we started experimenting with very early on was blockchain. So we were really interested in blockchain technology. And basically what you can do is you can pick any uh, blockchain book and look up like uh, top examples of like use cases for blockchain and real estate is probably on that top five list. Mm -hmm. So we were reading the reading through the books and uh, realizing that or looking at the examples and, and thinking that, okay, how could we do real estate using blockchain in Finland? Uh, and and that's, that's kind of where we started uh, selling the idea to the banks that maybe this would be something that we should try out. And one of the people that we started selling this to was Ville. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so this was really, you know, a, a business idea born out of the technology rather than the technology following the, uh, the business plan or business idea, right? Yeah, you are exactly right. And, and uh, we openly admit to that, that <laughs> we yeah. kind of came at this, the technology first. Whereas in general, I think that's, a, that's not a very good principle to follow. But, but in this case, how we did it, we, we looked at, we had the technology first and we, were, we, we had a hammer and we were looking for nails. Yes. Now that, and now that we mentioned the, the B word, uh, I cannot help myself. I have to have to point out a couple of things that I think sets Diaz apart a little bit uh, from what I would consider uh, more of the kind of hot air uh, <laughs> companies in the in the blockchain real estate space. And the key thing there is that the the real estate assets themselves are not on the network so they are not on quote unquote uh, the blockchain uh, in this case there is a centralized re registry uh, for for digital real estates or is going to be uh, in the future and while the process is decentralized and, and the processing is done uh, on the dias network uh, the the real estate records themselves uh, are maintained in a centralized database and that's helps uh, compliance uh, things a lot uh, and it helps uh, risk management also from uh, from bank perspective as we as the banks handle the uh, uh, the house loan uh, and the collateral yeah so so actually the first first time we talked to the banks our idea was that we would put the uh, registry on a blockchain so so the that the ownership would also be on a blockchain but then we soon learned that there was actually a government initiative that was building the centralized registry and and the new law was coming along and and like all the decisions on building that registry had already been made so we just realized that it doesn't make sense to try to fight this anymore. Let's just try to figure out, like, if there's a if there's an, another space uh, within this uh, within this area that we can we can fit into. And we realized that what the government is building is it's bu only building a re registry of ownership. They're not building anything around like how the trading process will actually actually be run. And that's where we realized that that's that's something that we can make uh, make a lot easier. Yeah. Okay, so the, the actual ownership is not registered in Dias. You're only just guaranteeing the transactions, right? Yeah, so essentially we're facilitating the trading process. As it should be, yes. in my mind. Yeah. Now, I want to move us forward a little bit in the story. Uh, the, we could talk about Dias uh, and its uh, features and, and happy users for a long time. But I want to kind of move us along to the, uh, to the next uh, element in this conversation, which is really is the, is the story uh, of how, how this was uh, put together. Sami, Sami you already mentioned the, uh, that you pitched this to me uh, back in 2017. Now, I remember that meeting uh, very clearly. It was a small sushi restaurant uh, close to the uh, bank office where I, where I work. And uh, I guess, you know, you had everything pretty much uh, stacked against you. Uh, you were pitching to the largest banks in the region as a very small uh, fintech company at the time. The amount of IP beyond the uh, ideas and uh, talent and ambition that you had at that, that point was, you know, again, not really much. Uh, you had something, but not much. Uh, and you were trying to disrupt uh, a well-established market uh, with a quote-unquote blockchain uh, solution. So not an easy start, uh, I would say, especially when you're uh, pitching to large, very conservative banks. I guess there was a lot of elements uh, in terms of the people you were able to locate uh, in these different uh, in these different banks, and you were able to find the right people to to move this forward. But 
Now, fast forward to 2020 and this year, uh, the network is not only live uh, with all major banks uh, in Finland uh, involved uh, in the network, but it's also growing fast, like we established in the beginning. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's growing fast. Uh, I guess uh, COVID is uh, impacting that as well. But uh, could you talk about the journey a little bit, Sami? What do you think were the kind of key moments uh, in this uh, story? that made it the success that it is today, even before the even greater success, obviously. But the, where you are today, what do you think were the key moments uh, in making it happen? Yeah, so so I think one of the things that that uh, kind of played in our favor, favor was that uh, we didn't know how big of a journey we had in front of us when we when we started. <laughs> so, uh, of course, we like like I explained how our company started, we just started doing experimentation and trying to figure out things like uh, figure out businesses that would work. And and when we talked about this idea with the banks, we didn't, of course, we didn't know that this is actually going to succeed and we're gonna we're gonna move forward with this. So we didn't really look at the big picture of how is this gonna play out in the next five years or so. What we were thinking is that we're we're just gonna get started with a proof of concept. That's what we were talking uh, talking with you in the in the sushi place that where we met. That let's do a proof of concept on this. Let's just see if the technology is a good fit for this business problem. And and I think that was one of the key things that we we started with a really small chunk uh, and not trying to solve everything at the same time. Let's just try out the technology, see if it works. And the model was a very cooperative model where where we'd share the IP and the and the actually the uh the, the amounts of money that were like the like uh, the, 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 it wasn't a costly endeavor for the banks to to undertake whereas for us as a company that had recently been been started uh any any uh revenue was good revenue uh, and and i think in, in that case it was a really good fit i mean we got a little revenue for the banks it was a really small risk to kind of do this proof of concept and not a lot of money and and that's how we kind of got started and then of course, when we got started, we actually had to like execute. We actually had to get the proof of concept done and and see see what comes out of it. And then then we had a lot of work in in, in trying to figure out how do we do it and 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 how writing actually writing the code and and doing all the architecture work that we needed to to set it up. And the proof of concept was actually a really good success. Uh, actually, the largest newspaper in Helsinki uh, uh, in, in Finland actually started uh, wrote an wrote a huge paper about it or article mm. about it uh, and because it was such a success and because there were two of the largest banks already uh, working together with us on this um, and and I think that's also since the very beginning the whole thing has been built very heavily around collaboration so it's actually like tomorrow tech uh, by itself would never have been able to do this. It's been a collaboration with the banks and with the with the real estate agents in Finland that we've been able to uh, figure out what's what's crucial and what's what's important here. But the proof of concept was the first thing. Then, if we just skip forward a, a little bit, then we built a beta version where uh, where the beta version was more focused on on the the actual business problems and the business processes. So the P POC, the pr proof of concept, was a technical POC. The beta was more focused on the actual business problems. And then after that, we had the issue of like, everything is going really well. How do we actually take this into production? And 
And that was an interesting junction of trying to figure out how do we go from this model where we're doing these beta versions into running an actual production system. And that's when we came up with this idea that let's start a joint venture with the banks. Mm. And when we, when we told our lawyer that we have this idea that we're going to start a joint venture with a bunch of banks, uh, they, they, they simply told us that this is never going to happen. It's like no way that this will ever happen. And uh, because of, uh, for, for essentially for two reasons. One, you're a small startup of three people. They're never going to start a joint venture with a small startup like that. It's just like no way. And on top of that, the banks are competitors. They're not going to agree on anything. And, and because of those reasons, this is never going to work. But we signed the contracts in November in 2018. And we can talk a little more about that process if we want to. But that's how we, like, we, we got the joint venture. And that, that joint venture is now the entity that, that is running DS. And we didn't really get to the numbers. But like 90, 98% of the mortgage market in Finland is on the, on the platform. We're doing uh, 20% of the, of the trades currently uh, in, in, in Finland and, and growing fast. That's uh, that's an amazing story. You know, we cannot em- emphasize enough uh, the the success in in getting the banks together. Uh, again, like you said, competitors uh, in this space and uh, coming together and building something uh, that was seen as shared infrastructure or a collaborative space uh, between the banks. Yeah, One of I, the I... things that uh, uh, struck me in the in the process uh, when I was there in the in the different workshops and you know seeing uh, all of these actors in the real estate market in those workshops coming together uh, and enthusiastically working uh, on this new idea because everybody saw the value of this of this new solution i i honestly don't know how you made that happen uh, i i've i've been i've been the uh, you know in many of these uh, uh, things things and people get very nasty very quickly but for some reason uh, for this project uh, everything you know everybody seems to be quite happy it was not always of course like that I mean there were there were uh, moments where you know we disagreed on things but mostly uh, I think the overall atmosphere was very positive and I think that really helped uh, carry this through uh, how you did it I have no clue. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things that that are kind of important to point out there and, and are related. So, so I, I think one of the things is that even though there were competitors uh, in this, uh, like the banks are competitors and the real estate agents are competitors to each other, there there's still like the the fact remains that actually facilitate facilitating the process of of a trade is actually that's not the bank's business. The banks are they're not interested in facilitating the process. That the business is actually the mortgages. That's the key business, mm. and for the real estate agents, they're they're there to sell the apartment. They're they're not looking at like how do we do this paperwork? How, how do we spend like the most amount of our time doing this paperwork? They're also not interested in that. That's something that that is something that they have to do, but they they prefer not to do if they just could uh, could skip it. And that's kind of the area that Dias solves. We're kind of we're getting rid of bureaucracy in a, in a way we're getting getting rid of the process that that we need to run but those are not the competitive advantage for the banks or for the real estate agents so we're kind of taking away something that uh, no one wants to do <laughs> in some way yeah. and, and i think that helps that you're not actually competing on that even though you are competitors and then the other thing is that we we actually spent a lot of time like uh, figuring out how do we run the workshops so that we focus 
on on what's common and what's what's like uh, not on the on the conflicts and trying to figure out what's what's our common goal what are the things that everyone will benefit from this and and i think like i did a lot of like facilitation a lot of coaching work in my previous roles and 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 i think that helped in in setting up the 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 workshop so that we focus on the right things right yeah i think that that might have might might have been the secret sauce uh, in making that happen who who knows but moving on to some of the i guess more of the boring parts of of these of these stories one of the things that usually takes fintech startups like yourselves under uh you know in the very beginning of their story is the sheer amount of uh, security and data protection requirements that the banks bury them with now you are working with several banks with several sets of requirements and this is true for any blockchain network that any uh, any fintech is building uh you have to comply with requirements from so many institutions and then you have to find uh, the common ground between those things and be able to do that in an efficient way now paul uh, you know you've been from the tech vendor side in these discussions many times uh and you know, when we see fintechs uh, struggle with these things uh what do you think they could do to be uh, better prepared uh, for this banking uh, requirements uh, for security and data protection i i think there's there's a number of things uh, that could be done i actually really like the story that that sami has and how dias has sort of evolved and i think one of the things that has been successful for dias is the fact that it's like sami said not focused in on the core business of of the banks so the banks see it very quickly as a way to drive additional value but i think if if you look at most fintechs I, i'm not sure if dias is in the same position although sami you did say that you started from the technology upwards and and i think that's one of the areas that fintechs struggle with is the fact that they are technology companies rather than than being banks and they don't understand financial markets really they don't understand the full history of banks why banks are so regulated uh, the way that they are what the the impact of regulatory compliance is on the banks and on the industry and they don't understand how the banks got to where the banks are today anyway to start with right and i think i've seen time and time again where fintechs are are very active very eager very young in in their approach and thinking and they come to the large banks and and the first thing that happens is that the banks dump a a 5000 page contractual document in front of them and say of course we want to work with you but it's going to take you 6 months to deal with our lawyers it's going to take you 5 months to uh, to align with our regulatory needs it's going to take you 3 months to deal with our pressures around data residency around gdpr around etc 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 not forgetting psd2 mifid2 etc and and the the fintechs get overwhelmed by this because they are floating in a a world which is technology focused for them and outside of that continued pressure of of regulators and a heavily regulated industry and they're trying to get into that and there's there's a culture clash almost that happens right and i think that if the fintechs can understand the issues and the pressures that the banks are under that it would help them to engage at the right way i don't know if you agree with that sami based on your experience engaging with the large banks in in finland No no sounds sounds very familiar and 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 I think uh and I think one of the things that happened in Dias was that we uh 
we did this in an iterative fashion. So we first did a proof of concept, then we did a beta version, and everyone knew that those versions are not going to go live. They, they are never going to process customer data. So we, of course, such systems do not have all the same uh, like compliance requirements that they need to meet because they're never going to touch any customer data. So uh, in, in that way, we kind of, we had, time to build the system uh, without getting slammed with all the compliance documentation that's necessary or all the product approval processes in the very beginning. So we had time to kind of hone the product already before we got to the point where we actually need to pass these processes. And I, and I think at that time when we kind of got to the point where we now we actually need to do the proper uh, product approval processes within all of these banks. It's also like for us, it wasn't just that we're doing it with one bank. We were doing it with a bunch of banks at the same time. So that kind of gives you uh, another level on the whole thing. Uh, instead of just doing one, you're doing doing five simultaneously. Uh, and and I think I think the key thing that happened for us at some point during that process. Uh, when we uh, like the documentation re required for all the product approval stuff, uh, we were really scared. To be honest, we were like, "How do we do this? This is this is crazy." The amount of like stuff that we need to fill out and think about and and process, and like also the fact that we have a really small company, whereas we have a bunch of banks who have like whole teams who are kind of working on this. Like, how do we, like, we don't have the resources to deal with this. Hmm. But I think what happened at some point was that we realized that actually, like, most of the stuff is there only just to make sure that you're doing smart things. And if you're doing smart things, you're actually okay. <laughs> I mean, hmm. if you're building something that's secure, and if you're building something that, that like, is a GDPR compliant from the, from the scratch, the documentation is actually going to be fairly easy uh, if you're doing that. Then you just like you talk exactly about like what you're doing and how you're doing it, and that will be enough. And when we realized that, then I think like that was like a huge uh, load off our shoulders when we realized that we just we just fill out what we're really doing, and that will be enough. Yeah, I think you know, be smart and make good decisions uh, in the beginning will definitely get you through it. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. The, uh, the the kind of compliance and all the requirements that the banks tend to throw at these fintechs is just to establish trust. Exactly. Uh, because banks have the trust of, uh, to a certain extent, at least of the regulator, even though the banks are doing an immense amount of uh, reporting to the regulators because they don't inherently trust the banks. But uh, the customers have the trust that the banks are doing all this stuff. So that's kind of, you know, behind the, the surface a little bit, uh, all of this uh, yeah. checking and uh, trust creation. Uh, and I think that's, that's the reason for, uh, for this kind of asymmetry uh, of, uh, of kind of work uh, in yeah. this uh, space. Definitely. And I, and I think that's something that the kind of both parties, I mean, fintechs and banks can approve, uh, improve on is that uh, instead of seeing the compliance and the product approval processes as a process where the banks give you a bunch of documentation to fill out and then the uh, fintechs fill them out and, and, and like post them somewhere. Instead of that, like building more of a dialogue around that makes a lot of sense. So asking questions like, like 
that the fintechs and the compliance people actually like let's have a meeting and discuss like what's like let's walk through the some of the questions explain like what's what's behind some of these questions and what's important in these questions i i think for us uh, there was a bunch of times where we just like we didn't really even understand the question like we we weren't like we weren't sure like what was because there were so many ways that we could interpret the question because they're of course the questions are also they're really generic because they're like standard questions for for anything from like it systems to to like something completely different and for that reason it was sometimes really hard to like know what's like what are they actually asking with this question and and it helped so much when we just like when we just called up some of the people in the banks and said like can we just have a meeting and let's just walk through some of this stuff and help us understand this Mm -hmm. and 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 the banks were really happy to do that. Actually, the compliance people were most of the time were like really happy to talk to you. Really, really happy that someone actually actually asks what's what's behind this. Yeah. Uh, and and after that, when we understood better, like what what are they actually looking for? Then of course it's so much easier to answer the questions. It's yeah. it's always better to collaborate than to compete, right? So, yeah. and I think the banks the banks are moving slowly towards that paradigm where they realize they need to collaborate more rather than stand as, as large monolithic uh, organizations that want to compete with the rest of the world. Yeah. So uh, we could talk about this forever, but we need to move along. Uh, the time is flying. So, uh, Sami, the last question on Diaz right now. So what's next? Yeah, so so there's uh, at least for the for the time being, we're still going to be very focused on Finland because there are so many things that we can still uh, build here. But of course, we're uh, we're kind of uh, scouring or exploring other markets and seeing what would work and what wouldn't work. Uh, essentially, like if you look at the real estate uh, space, for example, in the Nordics. At a very high level, it looks like it's very similar in every country. That there's like there are s- certain steps that happen in Finland and in Sweden and in Norway and, and so on. And 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 it's very like at a high level, it's similar. But then when you start getting into the nitty gritty details, there actually the processes differ quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And and in in that sense, deals is not something that you can just like we can just like. Uh, that will just flip a switch and now we're open in Sweden. <laughs> it, mm. it doesn't work like that. Uh, so there's like, if we, if and when we start expanding to other countries, there's still like a bunch of work that we need to do around uh, uh, around the processes that are different in each country. But what's, but once again, what's kind of, I think one of the hardest parts in building this whole thing has been to get to a pl- point where we have a platform that has been through all the security testing and all the compliance and and all the product approval processes and when we have that implementing new processes on top of this platform is 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 much is a much smaller effort uh than than starting from scratch and that's something that we do have uh on our side but yeah so uh at, currently we still have so much that we can accomplish here in, in Finland uh is it, that we're going to be mostly focused on Finland, but the vision of Diaz has actually always been that we're gonna, like we're aiming to automate the whole real estate uh, trade execution. So that the payments, for example, happen automatically. And that's something that we're already trying to explore. Like how do, how do we actually get to that point that mm. we're, we're making progress there. And that's, that's I think that's really uh, great. Cause at some point we could get to a point where like when the real estate agents start a new trade in Diaz, 
uh, it'll take two minutes for the whole execution to be done. And that's what I, what I want us to get to. That's, uh, that's a really ambitious plan, uh, knowing the complexities around, around that topic. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting story. And I think we discussed about uh, the blockchain uh, stuff a couple of episodes ago. And I think, you know, hearing what you're saying, Sami, is, uh, is kind of proof to, uh, to many of the things we talked about. For example, blockchain is never a replacement uh, for the existing law. So the legal framework pretty much defines how the network needs to work. And there are certain compliance requirements uh, that you need to do. And you just cannot airdrop uh, a blockchain uh, on, a, on a business uh, and then expect it to work and, and be compliant. And I think the things you said about the, uh, the foundation being there uh, is, is a good starting point. Uh, and I think that's a good kind of stepping stone for the uh, for scaling up. But there's going to be a lot of interesting work ahead uh, in just, uh, understanding how uh, how do these processes work in each country because they are inherently uh, different. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think in general, just as a comment on, on the blockchain space in, in general, I think, like you said, you can't just airdrop stuff into place. You have to take uh, into account the regulation and all the, all the existing stuff that's already there. And I think in that, in that sense, most of the stuff that you see in the blockchain space is too idealistic, in my opinion, yeah. that we need more companies who are exactly trying to figure out, like, what can we do within these constraints that we do have these constraints? What can we do within these? I mean, I'm not saying like it's OK to have an idealistic company. That's totally fine. But I think we need more companies who are trying to figure out businesses that operate within the constraints that we have. Yeah. And that's an excellent segue to our uh, end of episode uh, story that we want to talk about. Because Facebook and Libra uh, did something interesting. Uh, they didn't really make too much noise uh, with this, but they actually rebranded uh, re uh, their Calibra wallet uh, to what they call now Novi. Uh, I, I hope I pronounced that correctly because it's not Finnish. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and as most of our listeners would know, uh, Calibra uh, was or and is Facebook's wallet project for the upcoming Libra network. Uh, if successful, Facebook users could easily be onboarded to the Calibra or now Novi wallet uh, and then allow them to easily send and receive money uh, using the Libra network. But now they changed their name. Uh, Novi. What? Why? <laughs> Any thoughts? Uh, why, 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 why the rebranding? Uh, Sami, Paul? I can I, I can see the reason why, uh, to a certain degree, right? Calibra and Libra, the, the names are very similar. They give a feeling that the two are, are connected tightly together. But when you actually look at it, right, the Libra network is, is not a Facebook network. It's, it's a consortium set up outside of Facebook, and Facebook are trying very hard to distance themselves from Libra. Now, whether that is because of uh, Facebook's uh, reputation, etc., that's that's a different discussion. But renaming their wallet, uh, which is their wallet, right, that will interact with the Libra network, uh, I, ca I can understand doing that. It's, it's a marketing uh, exercise more than anything else from my perspective. Yeah, it sounds exactly the same to me. It's, it's simply PR that uh, Facebook has been getting most of the bad reputation that has come from, from the, uh, the issues that Libra has been facing. And they simply like they don't like the fact that they're getting all of that when there are also other companies behind, behind Libra. And they kind of want to separate that 
out. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's like it's actually a really good move from Facebook to do that because uh, yeah, I, I get the fact that they don't want all of the bad press when yeah. there's also others involved. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, an interesting story actually that I read this morning, uh, which is that uh, WhatsApp uh, is finally launching uh, Facebook Pay enabled P2P payments on the uh, on the WhatsApp application, and this is not based on Libra or Novi uh, in, in any shape or form. Uh, they are actually uh, starting in, in, I think they're starting now in Brazil uh, first, uh, and they are kind of going going through the uh, usual uh, processes of, uh, of complying with requirements because they're, they're using traditional rails like uh, debit and credit cards uh, to, to make these P2P payments. And uh, it would have been interesting to be in the boardroom uh, having that conversation at Facebook uh, that, you know, we're going to do this uh, P2P payment, but we're not going to use... Uh, Libra or, or Novi uh, for that. There's an interesting uh, comparison as well. It's, it's called Novi. Uh, I used to work a lot with Nokia in my, in my previous life. And uh, they, if anybody remembers, they, they launched their Ovi services, the services without, <laughs> without an end. And uh, yes. everybody knows how that, that got. Uh, so, uh, so let's see if that, there's a connection there or not. All right. Any closing thoughts on this? No. Good luck to Facebook and good luck to Libra. <laughs> All right, cool. So unfortunately, my friends, as always, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, I think it was a bit of a longer episode this time. Let's see how it comes out of the editing. Uh, but I think it was a very, very interesting discussion with you, Sami, and uh, and another uh, part of this uh, chapter in the story of, of the podcast called Fintech Daydreaming. But uh, before we close, though, Sami, I would like to give you a chance uh, to find, for our listeners to find out how can they find, find out more about you and uh, where can they uh, uh, find out more about Diaz and Tomorrow Tech. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at Sami Honkonen. Uh, Diaz, you can find uh, Diaz.fi. Tomorrow Tech, you can find at Tomorrow.fi. Perfect. And thank you for coming to the show. Your insights were uh, surely valuable uh, for our listeners uh, today. No, thanks a and, lot for having me. And thank you to our listeners as well. Now, do you have a fintech subject that uh, me and Paul could cover uh, in a future episode? Or maybe you have a great story to share and would like to uh, join us as a guest. Ping us on LinkedIn or on our anchor.fm page and let us know. And see you all next time. This has been Fintech Daydream.